Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Tiff Stevenson, who is a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast. We always have fascinating conversations. This one is, I think, super interesting, delving in and out of various issues, as well as a bit of insider uh, behind baseball comedy chat, which always tends to happen when we get together. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I very much enjoyed having the conversation. Um, thank you, everybody who's been signing up to the Patreon, uh, particularly those people who've signed up for the Ethos download, which is the $5 subscription level. Um, you don't have to stick around past the month, but it's nice when you do. And uh, I've been really enjoying the messages I've been getting on Patreon, also on email, alicerfraser at gmail.com. If you don't know, my last show was called Ethos. That's last year's show. I filmed it. And it is now available for anyone who wants to subscribe to my Patreon at the $5 level. Also, The Resistance, which is the show that I did two years before that, is also available in full filmed. Um, and you can get that in a number of places, but also on the Patreon. If you are on the Patreon and can't figure out how any of that works, just email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com, or message me in the app and I will reply to your message and we can all we can sort it all out. Uh, I am in London at the moment. I have previews coming up quite a few little bits and pieces around the place. The best place to follow that is on Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, because I'm not great at keeping my website updated. Uh, but if you follow me on Twitter or, uh, yeah, that's bas listen here, I can usually tell you what I have coming up. Um, I do have previews of Mythos, my new show. Um, the m biggest one, I guess, the fanciest one, is at the Museum of Comedy on the 10th of July, but I have a few other ones coming up here and there. Again, Twitter's the place to find that and I'm doing the bugle on the 26th of June no 22nd of June I'm doing the bugle on the 22nd of June uh, at London South Bank Centre I think or maybe Leicester Square look that up they're better at keeping their website up to date um it's just been so nice to hear from people who have uh, who saw Ethos in early stages that was a show that was quite technical to get working um, and then have now seen the filmed final version and have, you know, saying nice things. That's always really lovely. Uh, and other than that, I have other things. The trilogy is still available for free. The Alice Fraser trilogy, if you listen to podcasts, which I assume you do, that's still available for free. Um, and the feedback on that is so lovely. And it's the fact that I put it out now quite a long time ago and I'm still getting such lovely messages. It it means so much. It really, like, it really does. It means so much to have your support and your your patronage, whether that is uh, signing up to the Patreon or whether it's just sending me an email or sending me a message or telling your friends about work that I have done that you like. It just it makes it more possible for me to do what it is that I do, whatever it is that I do. So that's enough uh, sappy blithering. It's a nice day. I'm feeling sappy. Uh, there's flowers everywhere. London is showing its best face for maybe an hour more before the rain starts coming down again. Uh, so I'm being, I'm being silly. I'll let you get on with listening to the podcast and I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Tiff Stevenson. I am drinking a cup of uh, tea, just regular breakfast tea, um, in a mug that says, life's too short, because life's too short. I don't know what life's too short for, but um, I'm drinking a fruit tisane because it's currently uh, late o'clock. Um, oh, is this too much caffeine for you to have? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what's your cut-off point? 
Well, it depends if I have a gig or not. If I have a gig, my cutoff point is probably 4.35pm. Right. For caffeinated things. Um, because otherwise I just stay up all night. <laughs> I don't find tea is as hardcore for me as coffee would be. I, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have a coffee now. Well, I don't, I don't drink uh, coffee at all. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. I just... I green can't, tea. It makes green me all tea. jittery coffee. Right. Yeah, tea I can drink sort of infinite quantities. But, uh, yeah, no, I... Uh, sometimes I'm not disciplined, but I'll have like a weak green tea later on in the evening, but... I recently had like two... Like I, my sleep pattern's now all over the place. I had a couple of nights where I thought I'm going to make decaf <laughs> before bed. And I don't know if it's psychosomatic because I did make decaf. But then I just couldn't sleep till five in the morning. You have sort of insomnia things. Sometimes, yeah. I get into weird sleep patterns or time zones or whatever. You know, I know you have that. Depending where I am in the world. And then sometimes my body is very confused. Like, what am I doing? Where am I? Waking up. I've been away a bit as well, I suppose. I was in Greece and that's only a two hour time difference. Mm. And I was like, can you get jet lag? And then Paul was like, no, I can't get jet lag from two hours. And I was like, actually, I think it's probably worse when it's a shorter period because your body is then just adjusted to that time. Yeah, I spoke about this uh, when I was in Perth because it was, it, it, it did mess me up because I was never hungry at the right time. Right. Which meant that I wouldn't eat dinner until after my show, but then it's sort of in your head, it's past midnight and you're starving. Yeah. The upside was restaurants were still open, so that was okay. Uh, but yeah, it did mess me up, absolutely. I haven't been to Perth. You should go to Perth. It's very Perth-like. Perth. It's very Perthy. <laughs> I've heard it's very Perthy. It's the most isolated capital city in the world, I think. That's its claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to go to the Fringe. It always comes at that time of year where I think, can I do this? Is it like January or February? Yeah, so there's two Perth festivals. One is Perth Fringe World, which is basically the whole of January. Uh, and a lot of Australian acts use that to start a new show. Um, and then there's the Perth Comedy Festival, which comes after Melbourne. Right. That's the one I tend to do these days, because it's like three or four nights. The people who run it are the same people who run the Sydney Comedy Festival to talk shop. Um, so yeah. what have you been wrestling with of late? Well, we should probably talk about some of the stuff that we've done today because we've just done a show together, haven't we? Yeah, we went to the Welcome Trust. The, yeah, the Welcome Collection. Which is a, an old um, collection of medical paraphernalia. It's super interesting and slightly um, creepy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got all these kind of different... I, I find the exhibition... I fascinating. Yeah, all of that super stuff. fascinating. Old models of bodies before they really knew what was going on on the inside and and dental equipment and anesthetics and old syringes and that's always my favorite part of um of if i go to the natural history museum or is it the science museum maybe the science museum i can't remember which one one of them has a history of medicine it must be natural history and you can go around and look at like early birth all the way through and like yeah, dentistry and all of that kind of thing and look around and it's kind of like grimly fascinating. Oh, well, here's here's a thing that I have been wrestling with because this is something I'm talking about in my show. Um, you know, the kind of broadly, the, the new show is, is called Mother and it is about, I guess there's a big theme in it about the control of women and women's bodies, but 
also just the fact that you know only recently I found out I was I was someone who loved using the word vagina and just throwing it about a bit of a how's your vag like you know male or female whoever whoever's in the how's your vag just as an entrance uh well it's basically how's it hanging how's it hanging right yeah toss that how's your vag I had a whole routine about the vagina house about periods really enjoyed using the word vagina then I found out that the etymology of the word like it's latin for do you know what it is sheath sheath yeah sword sheath sword sheath um and I thought god no wonder some men feel entitled to be in there <laughs> like like that's what I don't want and and I'm like now I'm gonna have to stop using the word vagina like because I don't want to I don't want to use that it's not like a placeholder for dick I like my penis is rusty I better go and stick it in the old in the old <laughs> sword sheath um, but of course, so much of that early sort of medical research or when we started naming things that was male and it was centred around male bodies. And actually the exhibition today was about misbehaving bodies. Yeah, it was about misbehaving bodies and we did stuff about ageing and gender and class and all of that. My favourite thing about etymology that isn't as sexist as you would think, which is, so, uh, man was gender neutral. Right. And it used to be with man for women. Yeah. And wear man for men. Right. Off Warren, off Fred. <laughs> Sorry, it felt quite um, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Of, of with man. man was weaving man and wear man was war man. Right. And we were all man, which is why, you know, you can say, you know, friends, Roman countrymen, lend me your ears, and it's not sexist. Mankind right. is not actually sexist. Right. Even though it sort of became sexist in retrospect, it's yeah. not. But do you think? But how do you think they came about with the? You know, how did that happen <laughs> when they were naming the parts? You know, like the pen is mightier than the sword. Pen, the pen is the penis. The penis is mightier than the sword. Than the sword. <laughs> but you know, oh, you wish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, every Jewish boy proves that wrong at five days old. <laughs> Ah, oh, if this is triggering to any Jewish boys <laughs> listening. Or Jewish men, should we say. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I sort of, am sort of interested in that, like how we came up with names for things. I used to have a bit years ago in a show about names for diseases or eponymous diseases. Mm. So it's like you had like, there's Abercrombie's disease, which is where you have an addiction to like bad mail order clothing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Lois Alzheimer who came up with them. Um, It'll come to me. Uh, yeah, ah, that was the joke back at the time. I don't even know if I'd do that joke now. I mean, I just did it on here. But and then there was one that was like an abscess, Paget's abscess, which was the one I was obsessed with because it was Dr. Paget that discovered it was an abscess that forms on the site of an original abscess. It's a reoccurring abscess. So I was like, this person didn't even discover abscesses. They've jumped on someone else's abscess bandwagon <laughs> and they got to have, like, that's the hope if you work in medicine that you one day get a disease or a thing named after you, right? Yeah, but it's sort of an odd thing to hope for. It's not like a beautiful mountain. It's <laughs> it's an abscess. <laughs> yeah, to, to, yeah, poor Mr. Cancer. <laughs> Just to call him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by that. I want to delve into it a bit more for the show. Because knowing it's called that made me kind of not want to use it anymore. And then there's a whole bit about trying to find new names for it. Like, what am I going to call it? 
but also at the same time just imagining how they come up with that in the first place you know i have a bit online at the moment which is a song that i did in the resistance and it's called the cunt song and i justify why i use that word because i think it's funnier than the other words that are available for women's bits they're all a bit yeah i do a whole kind of act out I'm wondering whether I should take it down off the internet because of all of my videos that are up, it gets the most disgusting feedback. Right. Just, I don't tend to get nasty stuff online. Yeah. But this particular clip just gets the, you know, it must have been shared on a Reddit group or something. Oh, yeah, that happens. I mean, that happens a surprising amount and then you like kind of have to go to the people that do like you and go could you in any way somehow balance like i know you love me and you really liked this but could you click like because otherwise the ratio is horrific like i had the the, the video with the economist yeah. and that was immediately just sort of hijacked by sort of mra reddit edge lordy people to like downvote like a campaign of downvotes and i was like this isn't even anything i'm not going men are evil in it i was like but you well this is the thing as well in my thing it's not even a, the song isn't even about gender it's yeah. about gut reactions and the way that people react too quickly to things that they think are pissing them off so it's sort of ironic that people are commenting in this women on funny kind of way or yeah uh, my response so far has just been to delete the nastiest comments that just leave a bad flavor in my mouth but part of me thinks I should take the clip down just because it's not hugely family friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't quite know how to how to deal with that. It's it's difficult because I think we took the comments off my economist one because some of the stuff on there was horrific and threatening and awful, and I felt like. I was like, you've not really protected me here by opening it up like this. Yeah. And could you not also get it out to your readership before it sort of gets, you know, or I wish I'd not like, you know, just for that. It's just, just really horrible. Cause you're like, oh, this is just hate. Like, you know, coming at me and threats. Well, my thing is, and you should be so lucky that anyone would try and sexually assault, you know, all of that oh. kind of stuff, which is phenomenal that anyone would even think that's acceptable to write. Um, and I do think it, it part of it is because people are much more likely to register uh, uh, disgust or anger or talk about stuff they don't like than, than as people are willing to go, I loved this. Yeah. Or, or even to take I the time. This. I liked it, yeah. To take the time to do that, you know. I've just got a new podcast that's launched and I can see what the downloads are and people have maybe tweeted to kind of go, this is great, and I haven't had, had anyone go... Oh, I hate it, but like you go, oh, the amount of people that have gone onto iTunes to review it or even leave a comment or whatever else is like, because people are busy, right? And they're like, oh, I love that. I love them. This is great. Yeah. But they don't feel the need to go on and say how great it is. People only ever seem to really feel the need to go, ugh. Well, this is the interesting thing because the the song is not about cunts and... And yet it is being reacted to as though it were, which means people aren't watching it or engaging with it. Yeah. Um, or even the message of it, which is don't react out of your gut reaction. So they're not engaging with it at all. So it feels like maybe I should take it down because it is provoking to the people who aren't. But then why should I care about the people who aren't engaging with it, who are yes. just yeah. reacting to it? Yeah, why do they get to make... Uh to force you to do something or make a decision. Well, it's, it's this odd thing of I've always thought of myself 
as not rude. I don't think I'm rude. I think I talk about rude things. Yeah. But I'm not rude. And I, this might be slightly skewed because I don't tend to think of most swear words as rude. The words themselves aren't rude or yeah. even, you know, I, I remember this just, it's such an odd feeling to have. There are things that are offensive and then there are things that are rude. I don't think I'm offensive, maybe. Right. Like rudeness, what is rude? <laughs> what is rudeness? It's so subjective, right? Yes. As to what, you know, it's again, it's like with sort of, Swear words. We get very caught up in swear words. I don't know if you remember, I had a bit in Bombshell about, uh, uh, on a TV show, a journalist after Grenfell apologising. And I think they're apologising for what's happened. Yeah. And they're apologising for someone like, oh, someone says like, this is really like, you know, I don't give a fuck anymore. I've lost everything. And she says, I'm so sorry. And I presume she's saying to the person, I'm sorry that you've lost everything. And then she says, I'm so sorry for the swearing. Like, she's apologising for the swearing. And I was like, wow, that is so not the offensive part of any of this situation. Yeah. So often people get caught up in, in a swear word, but not the message of what's behind it. Well, yeah, it's, it, and again, it's the difference between, between saying it to someone and saying it in front of someone. Yes. I'm... You're not calling anyone a name. Yeah. And even then, I would I would argue that nowadays the the language that is really rude is somebody calling you an epithet. Yeah. You know, calling you something that you're not or something that you are in a mean way. Yes. Referring to your race or your yeah, weight. Yeah, a, discriminat- your, a yeah. discriminatory term that has as become, opposed to a curse word, as they would say in America, or a swear word. Well, if you think about it in sort of Shakespearean times... Cunt wasn't a bad word. No, a cuss, wo- cuss word. They say cuss words. Cuss words way. in America. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but things like goddamn were so offensive, like that you could be... I mean, medieval times, the punishment for blasphemy was getting your lip cut off. Uh, I thought you were going to say flayed or something. There was a lot of flaying going around. Yeah, the, 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 their punishments were pretty creative. Um and uh, I think it's a nice thing sometimes to reflect on how far we've come. The, the idea of punishment being so much less punitive. Yeah. Even though we have problems with our systems and they've all got flaws, it's still a massive change from what it used to be. I'm trying to think if it in Voltaire... Where it'd be all like, yeah, you're flaying. hung on and quartered. Yeah, flaying. I'm, I could be confusing... Voltaire with uh, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> I know, like, Vlad, like Vlad the Impaler would would um, would put people on spikes, and I I remember he used to have a joke of like poor Vlad so misunderstood he couldn't see the wood for the forest of people impaled on spikes. Um, <laughs> but he used to impale people, and he'd refuse apparently would refuse to oil the stakes, oh. so they slid down. So it was very very slow and agonising. And then the other thing he did now, and someone listening will be able to confirm or deny whether I've mixed this up with Voltaire, because some of the stuff happens there. And then there's that kind of Panglossian, like, you know, his teacher, who's like, this is the best of all possible worlds or the worst of all possible worlds. Um, No, he wouldn't say the worst because Panglossian was the idealized, optimistic. This is the best outcome anyway it's either that or it's Vlad the Impaler who would flay the skin off people's feet ah rub them in salt and then get goats to lick them ah which is 
Absolutely barbaric. Unless you're into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and what's the safe word? I mean, um. that's, yeah, that is... The, the, the old medieval punishments are just horrendous. Was there the scolds... Uh, scolds bridle. Scolds bridle, yeah. which was if you were caught gossiping, right? Yeah. And you had a little bell on it, so everyone knew... Yeah, it was sort of a head cage situation with a, a, a piece of iron that went into your mouth and held your tongue down. And that was if you were scolding your husband. Being a nag was a right. thing that you could be put in the stocks for. Wow. And I mean, you know, people throw the word witch hunt around very freely nowadays. But I think we, we, we are doing better. We are. I mean, but actually, how we treat women who fall outside the regular narrative... Uh, I think the methods change, but we... Uh, the energy behind it. The right. energy behind it and the judgment is still there. But, like, the punishment maybe sort of like... Because I was thinking about this the other day. Like, up until also quite modern times, I did the Drunk Women Solving Crime podcast. <laughs> and one of the characters on it, they said she turned up with weird markings on her head. She spoke different languages. She was very outgoing. And I immediately went, oh, she's trepanning has happened or there's been a lobotomy and that's what the marks are and they were like how did you know that and I was like because anyone that was seen as like kind of ultra or anyone who didn't immediately get married or become a mother or wanted some kind of academic career or to do something else was treated as if she was unwell so then Victorian times they had dildos that they used on people to try and calm hysteria and stuff like that um and trepanning and lobotomies would happen and one that happened, like, and it's not even that long ago, it was Rosemary Kennedy. So I think yeah, this would be in the... she was lobotomised. She was lobotomised. She had... A, a, and she was... Her mental capacity was reduced to that of, like, a, a 13 or 14-year-old, but she was also doubly incontinent. And it she was too high-spirited. That's what they said about her. So she was in her early 20s. She was high-spirited. Yeah, there, there was a, a craze for lobotomizing that swept across America with sort of carpet bag lobotomizers who yes. would go into a town. The two famous guys, right, yeah. and say, this will solve all your problems. Yeah, and they'd do these uh, ice pick lobotomies, which are just yeah. straight through the eye, up into your brain, like it was a trick. Yeah. I think trepanning's where they go in off the side of the scalp. They would screw in, wasn't it? No, trepanning's where they cut a hole in your head to reduce pressure. It actually can be used in a good way, right? but it is not, I mean, particularly in a time previous to hand washing, <laughs> <laughs> not a wise thing to do. Uh, uh, right, so that's and lobotomy is where they go in at the side or the front through and, the eyes yeah, or they, the side they of the Yeah, they disconnect the frontal lobe, Yeah, lobotomy. Um, but yeah... So I mean, I just, we're obviously so that, very medical in out because we've been yeah. surrounded by medical yeah. devices for yeah. the whole afternoon. But so so that being a way to effectively deal with women who don't fit into the societal mold, um, and like now, what do we have? We have we still kind of like we just sort of slut shame instead, or we there's revenge porn, or there's other ways of kind of like letting women know that if they don't fulfil societal expectations, that there will be like punishment. And now, obviously, they're different because they're not, you know. But 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 that was not that long ago. So we had the Scold's Bridal, but, like, back in the 60s, we had someone, like, putting an ice pick in the front of a woman's brain because she was too high-spirited. It's too... It's... Yeah, it's uh, it's horrendous. Um, because we have now done, what, four podcasts on consent, have yes. any of your thoughts on consent developed or been uh, triggered recently? And um, I was triggered in the, like... Yeah. normal sense of the word rather than um 
the medical sense. Yeah, not really. Not more than what we've um, sort of discussed. And we've talked about doing them in a separate kind of bigger way mm. as a discussion, haven't we? With possibly with, um, you know, a company that puts out. So we, you know, I, I but I, but I'm trying to think if anything's happened recently, like any news stories. Yeah, um, I had a, I had a discussion about consent the other day on a non-sexual level with with a listener of the podcast who was talking about how I do have right yes go on camera how, I, so use, just how yeah. I use consent in my shows I'll always ask the audience for permission and I didn't I hadn't realized until he did that that I did that so um, so often even though I'd made it a feature of some shows on purpose yes. that was mainly for f- functional reasons rather than a kind of a uh, principled approach to consent. Yeah, it was more. I need to get them to agree to this so that then they don't hate me for doing it. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> that's one way of doing it. But now I've kind of decided that I'm going to do it more explicitly in my shows. Right. I have a bit at the beginning of this year's show, which is uniting the audience in, um, with our first unconsensual experience, which is all shared, which is being born. <laughs> I didn't consent to this. <laughs> what is this? You know, so we all have that. Like, I didn't ask to be born, and because the show's called Mother as well, you know, um, forced out of the best home you ever had, you know, <laughs> unconsensually. Like, we didn't consent to be here. So, um, but I guess there's a bit in the show where, oh no, there isn't a bit in the show. Something happened with some girls getting harassed on the train, actually, which was one of my sort of Twitter threads that went viral. Um, and it was me on my way back from a gig in 99 Club, I think, in Leicester Square. Mm. And two girls were on the train. And, um, yes, so I think there there is a learning curve out of this, or I think there's there's some interesting stuff to sort of pick apart. So two girls were on the train, and this guy was standing up, like, hanging off the railing, really, really drunk, swaying around. He's like... So where do you live? Where do you live? And they're like, oh, no, we're going home. He's like, where do you live? Come back to mine. I've got like a massive balcony. Go and come back to mine. And they were like sort of chatting. And then they sat down. And then he said again, he was like, where do you live? And one of the girls went, don't tell him. Don't tell him where we live. It's like, what's your names? Where do you live? Information, information. Where are you going? Very drunk. Mm. And then the girl sat opposite. The, so the two girls are sat opposite me. And then one of them uh, goes, oh, that's a really nice handbag. Where did you get that from? And I know that this is my, they're trying to... That's a help, please. Help, please. A distraction, move away, try and start a conversation with someone else. So I said, oh, I got this in, I got this handbag. Actually, I I was in LA and I got it in a Goodwill, you know. It's the handbag I've got today, actually. So we were talking about that. And I said, I'll pick this up in like a, you know, in a Goodwill in Los Angeles. And she was like, oh, were you over there doing shows? And I was like, oh, they recognise me. And then she went to her friend, this is a really great feminist comedian that we follow. So we're chatting. He sort of picks up on this um, and sits down because he's annoyed that they're talking to me. Mm. So Lisa goes, oh, where did you say, like, you live, what, like, where is it? Where do you live? Where are you going? Where are you going? And I was like, dude, like, read the room, you know, like... 
They don't want to talk to you. Leave them alone. He was like, we're well, talking about the fuck. Like, but immediately it was like narcissistic rage that I'd questioned it, right? So he immediately went, the fuck's it got to do with you? They want to talk to me. They've been talking to me. It's nothing to do with you. And I was like, no, they're being polite. Yeah. They're being polite because they don't know what else to do. And we try and make it okay. When they're women traveling on, on their own at night, they don't want to be spoken to by you. It's like, what are you, some kind of fucking feminist? How dare you? And I was like, yeah, I'm a feminist. All right, how fucking dare you? What do you think I was trying to do? Like, I wasn't trying to chat them up. I wasn't trying to fuck. And I was like, you literally said, I was like, you asked them to come back to yours. He was like, don't you fucking put words in my mouth. And I was like, I just, you just said it. Just there, come back to mine. I've got like a garden and a rooftop, like, and he was screaming at me. And then another guy got up and moved down the carriage and sat next to me, but in a way that was like, not like intervening, but just in case it escalated. That's nice. And then he went, I'm fucking gay. What did you think I was going to do? And I was like, do not believe you. And I don't care. So what if you are? But most gay men that I know, in fact, I would say like 99% wouldn't scream into my face into in a narcissistic rage um, or... Um, yeah. So this is a super interesting thing and I've been thinking about a lot recently because I have friends who are nice, good men. I think we all do, if we're lucky. Yeah, yeah. And it is hard for them to approach women. It's hard for them to meet women. It's hard for them to find women because when they approach a woman in public, she is hostile or defensive and she looks at him like he might be a threat. And I was trying to find an analogy to explain to my very nice friend uh, what what it's like. And we were talking about it, and it's like there's something about it, and it's not fair. It's not fair to the nice men that you can't just say, hey, you have beautiful eyes, I'd love to get a coffee with you, strange lady. It's not fair. But the reality is it's like our streets are full of charity muggers. Yeah. And all they're offering you is dick. <laughs> yeah. At all times, even nice guys that you know will kind of just occasionally be like, by the way, this is on the table. This is It's like walking into a shop and eight shop assistants descend on you. Yeah. And it's not that you... You might even be in the market. You might even be wanting to buy something. But if someone pops up at your shoulder and is like, hey, can I offer you some penis? Like, yeah. It, there's, of course you're defensive. Of course it becomes annoying. And you've probably had or seen bad experiences well so this is how i describe it i'm like what makes you think now is the time women traveling on their own at night i've walked back from the comedy store and had four men approach me like and that walk from the comedy store to leicester square station is so short it's so short. so one come over like hi 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 another one shout another one come over and went i just want to talk to you she's got a great face i just wanted to talk to it and i was like i don't want to talk to you yeah like and the idea that you think that is the moment that a woman is going to be receptive. So this is the to, problem. To, to your come on. We're not. It's, it, it's not. And a, of those four guys, probably two of them were actually really nice. Fine. Yeah. All right, guys. Not realising what they're doing. But this is what I think men need to learn. I'm like, if a woman's on her own at night, she doesn't want to be approached. You have no idea how threatening you are. You have no idea how scary you are. If it's, in, it's not in a bar... We're not in a bar or a park in the data or anywhere where you go. If you go to a bar, that's a social place. Yeah. And it's probably okay to approach a woman and go, hey, you know. And if she says no, take the no, take the hit, move on. But when we're traveling on our own at night, that's when we're vulnerable. It's like if you're a cat and you're eating food. 
Yeah. Right? And some, <laughs> someone comes back, like, cats like to know. They have to be, they have to feel safe when they're eating. Yeah. Like, you know, if you approach a cat and it's eating food, chances are you're going to get smacked around the head. Yeah. Like, and that's how you should treat women. You should te- treat them like a cat that's got their dinner in front of them. <laughs> like, literally, they could be, you know. Yeah, I, I find it, I find it this interesting thing because I don't know whether the answer, and this might well be the answer, it's a, but I feel like it might be too simplistic. Whether the answer is, you see a beautiful woman, sorry, man. Yeah. You don't get it. You just don't get to. Yeah. Uh, because that's that feels sad. That feels like a sad world where, you know, the one is walking past you. You see yeah. someone and their eyes gleam like starlight and you're like, this is the most interesting looking person I've ever seen. I mean, well, a if, ridic- the one is, if the one is walking past you in daytime, yeah. it's not even as bad. If you're on a busy high street and you see a beautiful woman, you run over and go, here's my number, no pressure. Like, you know, that so can happen, that's right? My, that's, my, that's my ongoing cry of the heart to all people of like, you can actually ask anything you want. Just make sure that there's that you're not standing between a woman and the door. Yeah. That there is... An option for them to say no. That there is a very clear option for them to say no. And I have a friend who is fantastic at this. He's like seven feet tall massive dude but he's his persona his affect is like a puppy dog and he hits on women all the time in the nicest least offensive way i've ever seen and he'll just pop up to them and go you're incredible bye or you know like yeah whatever it is you just look at you look beautiful today and then he'll leave and if they want to engage with him he's already making a move to walk away Yes. That's the open door. And they can go, oh, thank you. Who are you? Yeah. He's, he's made the offer, even though it's the eh, penis offer, which it is. Yeah. But in this just absolutely open way of I'm giving, like, giving a compliment. Actually, yeah. not paying a compliment. Yes. Hoping to buy something back, but just giving it. Yeah. It with an open hand and no strings attached. I think that might be the only way. And I think that's that's what it is. It's the that's what we're not really dealing with when we talk about this. You can't even compliment a woman anymore. Uh, what? I'm not to harass women anymore. What the fuck? Where are we? You know, it is. It's it's. You've always been, and you still are allowed yeah. to pay compliments. What you're not allowed to do is expect anything in return or punish the person when they're not interested. Yeah. And that's when the work environment and everything else and all these other sort of harassment come. Just ask yourself. That was, I remember after me too, just going, have you ever stonewalled a woman? Have you ever punished her for, you know, turning you down? Have you done, have you cost her work or time or I think, safety? I think part of the problem with that is a lot of, a lot of men don't think of themselves as being powerful. There right. is a power that women have that over men. Yes. That is not acknowledged or dealt with, which is this sort of fear of, of humiliation and loneliness and rejection and that matters to everybody but it matters particularly to men if you don't and this is where I kind of I guess break with a lot of feminist doctrine where they say well who cares about this man's feelings or his reputation you go well it's not very long ago that if you damaged a man's reputation he would challenge you to a duel to the death yeah we might think that's a ridiculous thing to do but clearly reputation has some yeah. big significance. If you're a woman and you damage a man's reputation, he'll try and destroy your career 
life, house, money. Yes. And have you trepanned. Yes. (laughs) But there's something that we need to acknowledge the power that this has, this idea of reputation, not just dismiss it and say it shouldn't be important. I've turned someone down and then that person, another comic, but then that person was the person who went around and told everyone that I turned them down. I was like, I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Like, we're friendly. I thought it was just between us. I said no. We both move on from it. We're mates, but no. Well, it's Everyone weird. had to know that I turned him down. There's a, there, so this is, yeah, I, I'm kind of trying to pick this apart a bit, but there is an aggression in the fearful approach as well. There's right. an aggression in the, I'm putting my heart out here and if you reject me, it will destroy me. Because anyone who has any kind of a kind heart will try to let you down gently or try to be nice to you in a way that then ends up more long-term being very harmful and cruel because eventually it will become obvious to you that she's not interested and never was. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't, you know, there isn't a nice way to, if somebody's coming to you going, like, with their, you know, on their knees, yes. sort of humbling themselves in this terrified way, just basically coming up to you and going, you could break my heart. What do you do to that? Yeah. Uh, I don't want the heart. Keep the heart. Yeah, how do you go, no, thank you? I'm not good with stuff. I'll lose it. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, the, so that's a, there's a, this, I think I'm maybe trying to talk about too many things at once, but at the same time, we need to, yeah, recognize and somehow take the poison out of rejection. Yes. Because otherwise, rightly or not, men feel that when women are rejecting them, they're doing them a form of violence. Yes, the humiliation. That justifies a violent response. Yes. Or a violent reaction, even if it's an emotionally violent reaction. Yeah. And, and it's that thing of, it isn't, it is, it should be a ridiculous sentence to say, she humiliated me and then I killed her. Right. But we see that every... Play out relentlessly. Most women who are murdered by men are murdered by men they love or have loved and or are no. trying to leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a thing. Yes. Well, this possession, that goes back to sword sheath. Yeah. This idea that you, a woman is a possession. All those words we use, like conquer. Possession conquest. to be one. A conquest means something you've attained. Yeah. And women don't talk about sex in those terms. They say it's a conquest. Imagine if you had conquest for dick. I'm on a dick conquest. I've collected 25. They're all in jars. Terrified people. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so, so I feel like, but then also, then that is putting the onus on women again to adjust their behavior for a male problem. Yeah. And I feel that that's what, rather than what should happen then is men be able to discuss what is this you're feeling, humiliation and rejection, and have open and honest conversations with other men and talk about their feelings and express emotions. Yeah. And have those real conversations that are like, yeah, it hurts when this happens. It's a dent when this happens. Yes. And I think, I don't know how much of that is social and how much of that is biological. Yeah. Are men, like, and this is a real question because I don't know if we have the data on this. Are men socialized to not talk about their feelings or is there a natural inclination that comes along with testosterone to not talk to about not your feelings? talk about your feelings i want to yeah. talk to some trans people about the yeah. hormone load effect at least yes because that yeah. would be interesting do do people who 
you know, or is even, it nature or nurture? Yeah, or probably both, and how much of each, and what do we get to adjust? Yes. What bits are just there, and what bits do we have to adjust? And if the bits that are just there, what do we have to do to figure out, figure them out, or counterbalance them, or provide people with tools to cope with them? Yeah. Well, interestingly, I was just on a retreat, and there were a couple of men on the retreat as well like a meditation retreat. Mm. Um, And there was just an instant kind of like openness with people talking on a very kind of personal level. And um, one of the people who was on the retreat said that he sometimes does all male ones and it it is a different energy. Mm. And um, sometimes as well amongst all men, there's there's a reluctance to open up in a way that could be vulnerable or exposing with other men. So is that because men see other men as threats? Maybe. Because men are much more likely to be murdered by men as well. Yes, yeah. Of all murders, men get murdered the most. Men get murdered the most by men. By men. It's the one that always comes up when you talk about male-on-female violence and people lose their minds and go, men men are less safe at night than women. And you're like, yeah, from other men. So the common thing here is men. (laughs) But yes, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It could be. It could be that... And and maybe socialising, like, boys don't cry. You know, that is a... It's been around forever as a trope, you know. I always feel like when that argument comes up of, like, men get murdered too, I'm like, it's okay, guys, there's enough murders to go, to go around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, these are the competitions. This shouldn't be a competition. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it absolutely uh, should not. We should probably wrap this up because we've got some writing to do. We have, um, yes. But where can people find you online? Um, I am at Tiff Stevenson. Um, I'm going to update my website. You've just reminded me that I need to call the web guy, which I was supposed to do. Well, you have a on... web guy. Fancy. Well, I don't have a web guy, and that's why my website is an absolute bombsite. I need to get it all updated, and I probably should do before Edinburgh and stuff. But yes, uh, tiffstevenson.co.uk. It hasn't been updated since the referendum. So <laughs> that's that really needs sorting. Um, and Instagram, which I'm not very good at, but I'm trying... I'm so bad at it. I prefer words than pictures. See, I like being on Instagram. Like if I'm going to... look at pretty stuff. To look, but I can't... I don't feel like I am body confident enough to contribute to it. (laughs) Yeah, well, the pictures that tend to do well tend to be like, here I am looking nice. And I'm like, I want to do a picture of a beach or a sunset or I don't necessarily always want the picture to be of me. I want it to be able to be of something else. But yeah, um, I'm on there. So yeah. Um, and if you get a chance, do cross pollination uh, to listen to the Lush podcast, Tiny Revolutions. That's yes. my. I'm waiting to find out if we've got more, so that I can get you on and other friends. So yeah, so they they're out every two weeks. But if you fancy listening to that, they're on iTunes and Podbean, I think. And you're doing Edinburgh. I'm doing Edinburgh, my show Mother at the Monkey Barrel. So for the full month. That's super exciting. I'm, yes. I'm also doing Edinburgh. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice.
Oh, do you know her or do you not? This top is mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you doffers, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle.